1: Just in case it's your first thing to hear, we're doing a series that we call Life Verses, and the point of it uh, is hopefully to demonstrate how important the Bible ought to be to our lives, uh, choices we make, the way we live our lives. Uh, and each week, uh, we're having either a staff person or someone on our leadership team, along with their spouse, to share with you uh, some very important verses in their uh, lives. And uh, then I'm coming out and dealing with the verses, unless they deal with it uh, them, themselves. So let's just jump right into it then, because uh, today we're going to look at Sandra's to begin with, uh, and what I title uh, Sandra's verse as an available refuge. Uh, It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Any of you that have been around me very long have probably heard me tell this before, but not long after I surrendered to preach, uh, after I felt a call to the ministry, my mother gave me an Old New Testament uh, with the Psalms, that's the way they used to make them uh, years ago. You can still find them, but used to they, you know, if you got a New Testament, always have the Psalms attached to it. Uh, and it was one that belonged to my grandmother. <clears throat> so um I was flipping through it one day, and as I was flipping through it, I, I saw beside Psalm 46 that my grandmother had written a date down. And when I went to the front of the book uh, of, of that New Testament to see the part that's filled out, you know, when you received it and things like that. I noticed that the date written in the very front of that New Testament was later than the date that she had written beside Psalm 46. So that made me kind of wonder, why would she write a date beside beside of Psalm 46 that was earlier than she had even received that New Testament? So as I investigated into that, I found out the date was the date that my grandfather died of a stroke. Uh, He died of a severe stroke before uh, I was born uh he was up in the barn at their uh, at their farm, and and just had a massive stroke there. And lived just maybe a day uh, or so after that, and uh, and then he passed away. So uh, what I gained from that was that my grandmother was saying by writing that date there, that Psalm 46 had given her some comfort, had given her a place of refuge when she was facing a storm in her life. Uh, I, I said it's an available refuge, and, and by that word available, th- that means you have to make a choice. To allow God to be your refuge. There, there's a decision for you to make when you're going through storms or problems in in your life. That you need to decide that you're going to let Him be your refuge. So I want you to notice four things uh, here. First of all, I want you to think about the security of God. And, uh, and by that, uh, I, I want you to get the idea that you and I can have security just from understanding that God is... That God exists. Without anything else said in the verse, and we'll talk about everything else that's there, about God being our, our, our refuge and strength, the very present help and trouble, but even without everything else there, the reality that there is a God, the, the reality that there's a God who actually cares for us. The, the word that he used there in the Hebrew is the word Elohim, and it literally refers to him being the supreme God. And most of the time when it's used, it's like a superlative. It's like it's added to the thought that there's a God, that He is the supreme God. And God, if we, you know, those of us that have faith in Him and, and, and understand everything that He is and all that He's done, we ought to agree that He's worthy of that superlative, supreme, being added to, to His name. And the root word comes from Almighty, and in the original manuscript, and I'm not trying to mess with your mind. I'm just telling you the truth. The original manuscript in the Hebrew, the word "is" doesn't exist. It was added in by the translators when they were translating, trying to maybe give some clarity there that God is uh, our refuge and strength. But literally in the Hebrew, it just says God, our refuge and strength. And I'll be honest with you, I think that's stronger than even saying God is, because He just God. That's who He is. He, he's our refuge in our strength. and we'll talk about those things in, in a moment, but the, the fact that he is in existence, the fact that there is a supreme God, that alone ought to provide some comfort for us. Uh, we throw the word supreme around rather loosely sometimes, uh, I guess, in our culture. Uh, years ago, uh, Oldsmobile had a car that they called Supreme, the Supreme. Uh, I, I think they were trying to buy that trying to say that, hey, this car's better than all the rest of them. I don't know that worked out too good for them uh, or or anything. I don't think you can go find that car uh, today unless you find it used. Uh, the, we'll throw the, the word supreme around in a lot of other uh, different ways. There used to be, you know, back I'm old, remember, there used to be a group called the Supremes uh, back when I was growing up. And uh, I, I don't necessarily think that means that they were the best group that's ever been out there, but that's the name they chose for themselves. There's some uh, organizations that will even give a title to their leader, like the Supreme Potentate, whatever that's supposed to mean, and uh, things like that. But here, I, I'm just throwing that out just so I can say this. There's only one, the Supreme. You understand that? God is the one, that's Supreme. He, he's the one that deserves our, our worship. The fact that God is ought to give us some security from the reality that He really, really exists. Second thing from her verse is the shelter of God. The shelter of God. God is our refuge. Literally to us, toward us, for, for the purpose of, kind of like belonging to us, something that, that we can really have confidence in as though it's a possession that we have. With respect to us, God is our, our refuge. He, he's our shelter. He's our hope. The, the word also referred to trusting in Him or or fleeing to Him for protection, confiding in Him. Old English word to, to high literally kind of means that you're you're hurrying or you're running really fast, trying to get to a place of of refuge. Like I said, it's a, it's a choice that you make. If you're out somewhere outside in this really bad storm we to blow up and you're out in the middle of the field and things like that. What typically do you do? You typically do what? You try to run and get out of it. You try to find a place of refuge as as fast as you can. <clears throat> we were doing a, um, I think it might be the Special Olympics ride uh, or maybe in the officer down ride or something like that that the Blue Knights were doing last year. And uh, it looked a little bit ominous that day, so we didn't have a large crowd to show up. But it wasn't raining, and we go out here and, and kind of cut across through Dudley and come back in on 90. As we're coming back in Lenore, it was not looking good at all. And about the time we turn on to 18 in Lenore, it's like God decided just to take buckets of water. And I sprinkle sprinkling buckets of water and pour out on us. I'm talking about you could float the motorcycle in it by the time we got to behind First Baptist Church in Lenore. Uh, and everyone, as soon as we got there, it started lighting and everything else. They were running as fast as they could trying to get in the shelter. We were already wet, but still, you know, they wanted to get into a shelter. That, that, that's the thought behind having a, a, a refuge. You try to, to run there. But the kind of refuge I'm talking about is having a refuge for the storms of life. Because we can face a lot of storms. Sandra alluded to that. I mean, There can be the storm of, of disease or the death of a loved one or whatever might, might happen. You, you've got the storm of your sin and you need to flee to God as your refuge when you're facing the storm of sin. When you have a storm of addiction in your life and things that you're addicted to and, and you kind of built your life around and you're, you've attached yourself to those things, you, you need to run to Him as your refuge. A lot of people wrestle with darkness and depression in their lives. And when you're going through that type of storm, you need to run to Him for refuge. You face broken relationships, broken marriages, wounded marriages, problems with people, family members, whatever it might be. Whatever your storm is, what we need to learn to do is to make the choice that God is there, He's our refuge, and we need to flee to Him. And allow Him to be our our shelter in in the storm. Matter of fact, you need to run to him whether you're in a storm or not. Amen. You know, if we ran to him more often, we'd have probably less storms because we create a lot of the storms ourselves by failing to follow him as as, as we ought to. What you notice also the strength of God is listed in in her verse. God is our refuge and strength. It has a lot of different applications in the Hebrew. One word is force. I, I guess for uh, you know all of you sci-fi fans, the force be with you or something. You know, he, he's our security. He's he, he's he's our majesty. He's our praise. He's our boldness. But the root word that is built from literally means to be stout. Well, aren't you glad that God is stout? aren't you glad that God is so strong and so stout that He can handle any storm it is that you're going through in your life? When, When you flee to a refuge, it's not like you're fleeing to God and you're wondering as the storm comes over, will this rickety shack that you run to, will it maybe fall down on you because you've just ran to this shelter and you're not sure how strong it will be in the storm? No, when you run to God, you know that you have a secure shelter that is always there for you. You don't have to worry about it failing you whatsoever. He, he's that type of strong shelter for us in our, our lives. He's not a flimsy refuge. Martin Luther wrote a song based upon this psalm, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I'm going to ask John to come out and sing some verses from that to maybe help us better understand how much He ought to be our Our shelter and our strength.
0: our oh, heads yeah. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord, Sabbath His name from age to age the same, and He must win. Is our
1: God. And that's a lot better than me just reading it to you like a poem, isn't it? Aren't you glad that God is our refuge, that Jesus is, is our refuge? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. I want you to also see the support of God in Sandra's verse that she has chosen today, a very present help. We're very kind of interested. I mean, he's fervently holy, speedily, diligently, especially, exceedingly fast. I, I like this part of the definition, louder and louder. <laughs> like God can, can be there, and, and we know He's there, but in the storm, He can even get louder for us. We we can understand that He's present all the more. The root word talked about raking together coals with a poker, trying to gather up the embers, trying to stir up the fire a, a little bit. God is, is there like a, like a fire. And maybe in our own lives, we need to stir Him up some. It's not on His end, the deficits with us, that we fail to do that, that we allow Him to be as present as He really is. He comes forth. He, he appears. The word present means be enough. He he meets with us. He's there to be our, our help, to be our aid, to surround and protect us is what the word means. A lot of times in the Old Testament, there's this image of God being like a, a hedge, and He hedges us around with thorns to keep the enemy out and to protect us. And He's all around us. He wants to protect us. He's a very present help in trouble when when you're having some adversary tightness in your life, when, when there's anguish or distress or tribulation, or you feel like you're in a narrow, tight place because life is just crushing in on you. The word even referred to a pebble that you might get in your shoe to cause discomfort. When you have an opponent that's crowding in on you, an enemy, it referred to a flint or a knife or a sharp stone, also to cramp or besiege or bind you up or confine you. And you have that type of constriction happening in your life because of troubles in your life, God is very present to help us. I'm afraid many of us get this idea that, yes, God is there, but He's way off up there in heaven somewhere. And one day we'll kindly of get to be in His presence. When the reality is, He is present with you now. Last week, as we looked at Psalm 23, one of, you know, Brent's passages of Scripture, we, we found out there that the Bible says, You are with me. And, and it literally meant, you know, the, He's the God who is there. Even in dark valleys, even in death, whatever the circumstances are, God is very fervent about being our help. He is speedily to be present. God can aid us, surround us, protect us when the world is pushing in on your life, cramping your life. God is there as a very present help. When the world is stabbing in on you like a sharp stone or knife, God is there and can help. But, like I said a moment ago, we have to make a choice. We have to leading Him. We have to allow Him to be our very present help. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 13 about why Jesus didn't do many miracles in some of the cities. The Bible says, and He did not do many works there because of their unbelief. God is there. He wants to help you in the tribulations of life that you face. He wants to be that very present help in times of trouble. But I'm afraid too often because of our lack of unbelief. We don't turn to Him. We don't rely upon Him. Let Him be our strength and that hinders us experiencing all that we should. David, who wrote this psalm, Psalm 46, and most of the psalms, he clearly understood and repeated it more times than we've got time to read this morning, that God was his refuge and strength. He said, for you have been, past tense, my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. On God rest my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God, trusting him at all times. Not just bad times, but even in the good. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. In other words, people just couldn't figure out how in the world David kept going. (laughs) Or maybe how they couldn't get to David. And it was a marvel to them, and yet the reason was not David. The reason was this. God was his refuge and strength. God is our refuge. He's our strength, not our armies. It's easy to delude ourselves into thinking, well, we're America. We've got all this military might and everything like that. I'm telling you, America without God is nothing. Our armies without God is nothing. A lot of people like to depend upon strong fortresses on impregnable rocks up on high cliffs. And they think maybe because they have that type of physical refuge, some kind of inaccessible type castle with secure gates of iron that they feel like they can be safe. But God is the only one that's truly a refuge and he far surpasses all of those. Martin Luther wrote about the song that John just sang a minute ago. And here's what he wrote about it. We sing this psalm of the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends His church and His word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. Aren't you glad God's a mighty fortress. Daryl's passage is found in John chapter 10, verse 10. Get a little bit of the background before I actually read his verse and kind of jump into that. The verse that we look at in what John writes about in John 10 has the illustration of a shepherd taking place, kind of like last week with Brent's passage in Psalm 23. And we won't have time today to read through all that, but if you'll take time and look at John chapter 10, you'll see all kinds of references to God and Jesus being, being our shepherd. The background to this verse that Daryl has chosen is John chapter 9. And what happened in John chapter 9 was this. Jesus had healed a man that was blind. And all of a sudden, he goes and he shows up at the religious place, at the church of the day, in the synagogue. And they're trying to say, oh, no, that's not really him, that's someone else. And they call his parents up. Because this guy's really excited. You understand, he was blind, and now he can see. Pretty big transformation. Something to be excited about. So they call his parents up. And his parents are kind of scared of them because they had heard anyone that's kind of going along with his Jesus stuff, they're going to put out of the synagogue. So the parents didn't want to be excommunicated. So they kind of say, yes, that's our son. And they ask the parents, well, how did this happen? And they say, well, you can ask him. He's a full-grown man. We're not going to answer it. We don't want to get in trouble. And, and this guy who had received his sight from Jesus Stands firm in what had happened. And what the religious crowd does is this. They put him out of the synagogue, which effectively means they excommunicated him. Jesus finds out about it and Jesus goes looking for him. Because they might have been put out of the fold of the false shepherds and the Pharisees of that day, but Jesus took him into his fold. That's the background to what's happening in, in Daryl's verse. The religious leaders of the day were kind of like thieves. They, they were not real shepherds. They didn't necessarily really care for the sheep. And, and Jesus is telling this story in John chapter 10 toward the Pharisees because of what they had done to this blind man who would received his sight. And in John chapter 10 verse 10, Jesus talks about a primary thief that the false shepherds were underneath the control of, probably, maybe without them meaning to be, but they were. This thief that he mentions in John chapter 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. There, I said a moment ago, this verse, one of the reasons he loves it is that it clearly defines a couple of goals. There's a goal that Satan has for your life. There's a goal that Jesus has for your life. It clearly defines the results of who you follow. If you decide to follow Satan and his lead then there's a goal that He has for you. If you decide to follow Jesus and His lead, then there's a goal that, that Jesus has for you. I've called arrows verse an available life. We looked at an available refuge a moment ago in Psalm 46, but there's an available life, really two available lives. And it depends upon who you decide to follow. The first one is a destroyed life. A destroyed life. Because there is a life taker. There's someone that that wants to take your life from you. Jesus said this about the thief. He, He said the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. The word for thief is the same word we get our word kleptomaniac from. Someone that they can't help it hardly. They, they steal so much that's, that's who they are. That's what their life is wrapped up in. And that's who Satan is. He, he's a stealer. He, he wants to steal some things from your life. He wanted to steal the glory of God. And that's what got him cast out of heaven. And, and now, since he couldn't sit there on that throne, his goal is to steal anything out of your life that he can. He comes only, in other words, the only reason, the main purpose that he has. He comes and goes absolutely not, except for the purpose or the results of, in order that, he might do these things. That he might steal, because that's who he is, he's a thief. And... A lot of times we jump over those little words, but in the Bible, many times those words have some significance. Here, the way it's written in the Greek, it, it, it means that Satan is not happy with just stealing. There's a cumulative or a copulative effect taking place. He's not happy with just stealing things from your life. He also wants to do this. He wants to kill. He, he wants to rush upon you with anger. As though being sacrificed by fire, slaughtering for any purpose. That's his goal. He, he wants to steal from your life. He wants to kill your life. And ultimately, you got the word in. There again, it, it, there's this build in progress. He's not happy with just stealing. He's not happy with just killing. He ultimately wants to destroy your life for all eternity. That's what his goal is. Daryl, like I said a moment ago, called the thief the taker of life. His goal is utterly to destroy you totally. And I want you to understand something clearly. If you choose to disobey God, don't make any mistake about it, when you choose to disobey God, in a way you are choosing to follow Satan. Anytime you choose to disobey God, It's like you've decided in in that moment, at least in that action, whatever it is. And we need to be very concerned about that because the ultimate outcome that we're told about through Jesus here in this scripture is death and destruction. The thief represented also a lot of false messiahs. There were false messiahs that Israel had had to deal with a lot in their history. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21 through 22 says, For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they've not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. A voice, a rumor, behold, it comes. A great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation and and a a lair of jackals. A little bit later in chapter 12, it says, Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard, and they have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. Israel had faced a lot of fake messiahs, false messiahs, because they knew the nation was looking for a messiah. So they had had a lot of false messiahs before Jesus and after Jesus. Who were thieves. They were not the real shepherd. We we still have it in our culture today. There's still also false shepherds and religious leaders still who who give false messages, wrong wrong doctrine that can steal, kill and destroy people for eternity. And we need to be aware of that fact that there're still life takers out there running around in this world. Satan is still a life taker and he wants to steal and kill and destroy your life. We need to beware of false shepherds and, and thieves and especially beware of the main thief Satan himself because his goal for you is not good. But not only do you have a destroyed life, there's also an abundant life. That's mentioned in John chapter 10 and verse 10. Instead of a life taker, you've got the life giver. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The little word I there, the personal pronoun, in the Greek here, it's in an emphatic form. And it's like Jesus is intentionally making a huge contrast between the life taker and himself as a life giver. Because the, the word means emphatically that Jesus is saying, in contrast to the thief, here's what I do. I, I came in order. I come and go in and order that same word that was used about Satan. But instead of the purpose being to steal, kill, and destroy... Here Jesus said, I've come that they might have life. That they might literally hold it as a possession. That they might have life. That they might have an ability that they didn't have. A relation or a condition that they really didn't have before. Because the Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sin. Jesus is the one that gives us life. He came that we might have life. And you've got that same word there, a copy of cumulative force taking place. Next slide. You can have life forever. I've come that they may have life. That's part of the life that Jesus offers. When we come to him by faith, he gives us eternal life, and we shall never perish. He tells us that himself that we come to Him, He will in no wise cast us out. He gives us everlasting life when we come to Him right now. See, the life that Jesus gives as a richer life. It's a fuller life. It's a life where you understand you're forgiven, and you don't have to live every day with the guilt of your sin. It's a life that you have of hope, of eternity. It's a higher level of life, having confidence of heaven and understanding that Jesus gives us divine gift everlasting life by him dying for our sins. That's why he's the good shepherd. He doesn't lead us to slaughter. That's what Satan wants to do. Instead, as I mentioned last week, there's a change that took place. Our great shepherd is the one that lays his life down for us, paying for our sins with his shed blood. Jesus dying on the cross as our shepherd and as our door, rolled in So one, through faith in Him, we can be saved. John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He offers us eternal life. That's great, isn't it? Huh? Oh. You might as well stay home and watch TV this morning. Or slept in. Eternal life is great, isn't it? And that's what He offers us. But He offers us more than just eternal life. He also offers us life now. And I'm afraid all too often, we want to take that abundant life, kind of like I said a moment ago, when we think about God being a very present help, we'll think, oh yeah, God's out there, He exists, but He's way out there in heaven. Instead of understanding He's a very present help, I'm afraid a lot of times we take that abundant life and we park it way over there in heaven too. When the reality is, He wants you to have an abundant life now also, to have it abundantly, hold it as your possession. The word means super abundantly in quantity or superior in quality. It implies excessiveness, preeminence, exceeding abundantly above and beyond measure what we can even begin to imagine or need. That's what He offers us. Not just one day when you get to heaven and get to walk on streets of gold. He wants you to have an abundant Life now. Will life be abundant in heaven? Sure it will be. But He wants you to experience an abundant life now also. In John chapter 10 where it talks about going into the sheepfold. If you read all the rest of the verses that are there around this verse that Daryl's chosen. Some people get in their mind that Entering into the sheepfold or trying to climb up over the wall like a thief is a picture of someone trying to get into heaven without going through the door of Jesus. But that's not what's being taught. What's being taught is that the sheep enter the door through Jesus. They're part of the fold. A thief would be those false shepherds, those Pharisees and things like that that want to climb over the wall. Or false messiahs that want to climb over the wall to try and steal away the sheep or try and injure the sheep. It is not a picture of going to heaven. What it is going into the sheepfold is being in the protection of his fold, but it talks about going, coming in and going out. We won't be coming in and going out of heaven. There'll be a new heaven in a, in a, in a new earth. Everything's going to be changed, but it's, it's not like you go in and out of it. So it's not a picture of going to heaven that, that Jesus has given here in this story. It's a picture of you, by faith, being a part of His fold, being one of His sheep. And He leads you, and you follow Him as you go in and out and have an abundant life. The immediate context is to Jewish believers even. Because later on, Jesus talks about the Gentiles in John chapter 10, verse 16. He said, and I have other sheep. We're the other sheep. I I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers brought together. The abundant life, what he's talking about, points to a a depth of living and a length of living. It's not just eternal life one day when you go to heaven. It's a life that we can live right now. One of the images that comes to mind is one of the verses that we saw last week in, in Psalm 23. In verse 5, when the shepherd comes over and he has this overflowing cup and he brings it forward to feed the sheep and care for the sheep. Jesus wants our lives to be overflowing lives right now. He's got this cup that He wants to overflow our lives with. The the, the thought of, well, I've become a Christian now, and one day I'll go to heaven when I die, so I'm forgiven, so I'm just going to kind of sit back and wait until one day when I do die, I get to go to heaven is not the Christianity of the New Testament. The Christianity of the New Testament is he changes your life now. He has purposes for your life now. He has goals for your life now. And we need to follow the shepherd in and out of the fold where he leads us and experience the life that he wants us to experience now. Allow him to use our lives the way he wants to, to use our lives now. To affect change in our culture. To affect change in the lives of others. To bring other sheep in to the fall, He gave that kind of life to that blind man. All of a sudden, he, see there's a lot of imagery that goes on that blind man in chapter 9. All of a sudden, he could see things he's never seen before. And by faith, when we come to Christ, there ought to be things we see that we've never seen before. We feel that we've never felt before. We do that we've never done before. Then he's got this abundant life for us now. He prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. But I want you to clearly understand something. What Jesus says here is not a health and wealth gospel. Jesus isn't saying if we follow him, we'll never ever experience any trials. We'll never ever go through any difficulties or problems in our life. That is not what Jesus is teaching. Because Jesus also told these same disciples in this world, you'll have trouble in Matthew 16. Jesus also said in John chapter 16 verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have what? tribulation. He's not promising health and wealth. He's not promising you always have plenty of money and everything goes smoothly in your life. That is not what he promises here. He says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In other words, even as we walk through difficulty and tribulation, we can still experience life at a higher level than any other type of life we can live because we know we're following the one that has overcome it all. Through Him, we can have an abundant life. Even the image that Jesus gives, this pastoral scene that He's talking about in John chapter 10, you need to remember there were wolves and thieves and dangers and death. Even as He talks about Him being the shepherd, the good shepherd, He's not given an image of life without daily hardships. That's not what He promises. But He does offer us a life that we can... We can make it through whatever comes, whatever hardship it is, because we know the shepherd. And and He is our refuge and strength that we talked about earlier. And yes, He wants to give us everlasting life, but He also wants to give us life now. And we need in our lives to be going through the door by faith and receiving eternal life. And then we need to go in and out, in and out, following Him as He leads us. And by doing so, we can enjoy a rich, abundant life that He has planned for us as He takes us to green pastures, as He takes us to still waters. He restores our soul. We're called not just to think of eternal life then. We're called to understand the abundant life is not just in heaven. The abundant life is now. Jesus wants to live His life through our lives that makes a difference not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people around us. Daryl said, life does not have to be a box of chocolates. It doesn't have to be a rat race. It doesn't have to be a bowl of cherries. It doesn't have to be a series of choices. It doesn't have to be just living for a paycheck or living for the weekend or a party. It can be more than we can ask or imagine because that's what Jesus tells us. Is God your refuge and strength? Are you allowing Him to be your refuge? Are you are you fleeing to Him in the storms of life? Are you allowing Him to be your very present help in trouble? Are you following Him in life because there's a thief that wants to kill you? There's a thief that wants to steal everything he can from your life from your marriage, from your family, from our church. He wants to rob us of everything He can and kill us and destroy us. Or are you following, instead of following the taker of life, are you following the giver of life? The one that wants to give you eternal life now, but also an abundant life now. Jesus is the door. He's the entrance way into that life. question is, will you enter through Him by faith, believe in Him, trust in Him and nothing else? Understand He's done it all. Trust in Him. And then live for Him. And experience the life that He wants you to have. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that there's an available refuge. We get through troubles and trials and difficulties in life, when the storms come, or whether there's a storm or not. You're there for us. You're our refuge. You're our strength. You're a very present help in trouble. We thank You that there's an available refuge. Father, we also thank You that there's an available life. Eternal life, but life now. And Lord, if there's someone here that's never, ever, by faith, trusted in Jesus, give them the faith that they need right now to believe and be given life. You tell us that you you give us life. We don't have to earn it. You give us life. And then, Father, give them not just eternal life, but the kind of life that you desire for them. Father, this morning I'm aware that there's some here that's probably wrestling with some storms and problems who already know You. And yet they find themselves in a storm. Father, right now, help them to run to You for refuge. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're a believer facing a storm, i wouldn't be ashamed at all to run to him for refuge and one visible way you can do it today you can sit there and say well god you're my refuge but another way you can do it is this you can come and kneel and pray and say god I, I want to admit to you i'm in a storm and i'm coming to you right now as a refuge and you may even need people to pray with you so we invite you to let us know that that's a need that you have in your life during this invitation and especially if you've never entered through the door if you've never trusted in the good shepherd, the one that laid his life down for you. Why not trust in him today and let him give you eternal life and let him change your life and give you the abundant life that he wants you to have.
0: Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org Day 3 Church experience a new day in your life